everyone. Welcome to this edition of our Top 10 Risks series. In this series, we focus on the top disputes risks facing our asset management clients. And in case you're a regular listener, I thought I'd mention that you've got a different presenter today. My name is Tom Bowen. I'm a supervising associate in the contentious data and crime practice in London. And I'm joined today by partners Rob Allen and Felix Zimmerman, respectively from our litigation and insurance teams and managing associate Emily Agnoli from our contentious data and crime team. Today, we're going to be looking at the risks arising in the sector as a result of the increasing significance of data. Now, that's obviously a major driver for risk for all businesses. And a big part of that, both in the asset management sector and generally, is from cybercrime. That's been a key concern for a while. But what we've seen is that it's become rapidly more significant over the last few years. All types of cybercrime have been prevalent in 2021. We've seen significant denial of service attacks, phishing, cyber-enabled fraud, including identity fraud and malware. And that last one is particularly what I want to talk about, particularly ransomware. Now, most listeners probably know what that is, but just to set the scene, it's a form of malware that encrypts users' information pending the payment of a ransom, usually in cryptocurrency. And it has been described as the most immediate danger facing UK companies by the head of the National Cybersecurity Centre. Ransomware attacks in UK organisations have doubled in the last year, and I think it's probably the greatest cyber threat to the asset management industry. We've certainly seen a few incidents in the last year. Now, one thing probably that I should mention is these attacks are becoming increasingly sophisticated. They don't always just involve ransomware shutting down your system so you don't have access until you pay some money. The improvement in managers' defences, their backups, so these attacks would be less impactful are also leading to escalation. They mean attackers are looking to do things like publicize data in addition to destroying it or preventing access. And that threatens a company with the commercial and regulatory consequences that might flow from that. These sorts of cyber crimes are the prompt for a lot of breaches that we're seeing affecting the industry. And that's where I'm going to pass on to my first question, which is for you, Emily. What would you say are some of the most significant consequences that can flow from these attacks and the ones that managers in particular need to be aware of? So I think it depends on the type of data you're talking about. Um, if it's commercial, so it's sensitive client or market information, for instance, that I think the risks are pretty obvious. Um, it could lead to a failure of a specific project or deal, losing a client, um, reputational damage. Um, if we're talking about personal data, then there can be significant regulatory consequences. Um, the ICO has been increasingly active in enforcement, and we know it's made a number of inquiries in this sector. Regulated institutions also need to keep in mind the role of the FCA. Um, so actually, the most significant um, pre-GDPR data breach enforcement came from the from the FCA um, in relation to a cyber attack on Tesco Bank that led to the theft of client funds. So the requirement to have proper systems and controls in place extends to having processes in place adequate to prevent um, from and recover from any cyber attack or other data leak. So really operational resilience is key here. 
And I suppose another key point to keep in mind is that when these issues occur, you're likely to be in a crisis scenario. So this makes it more important to actually consider these issues in advance and really prepare for how you would manage um, the circumstances should they arise. So you need proper information management processes, regular backups, um, a breach response plan. And I think these are kind of these are the types of inquiries we are seeing from from clients and we're helping them at the moment more and more with kind of data breach response frameworks and ransomware playbooks. Um, and I suppose that's just a couple of points to, to keep in mind, really. Thanks, Emily. I think probably that bit at the end around preparedness is key. That really is the message. And it sort of segues quite nicely into what we were going to talk about next, because one of the things you can obviously do to prepare for a risk is you can insure it. So Felix, a lot of the earliest activity that we all saw, at least on the legal side for cybercrime and data breaches, came from the insurers because effectively they were being asked to carry a can for this whole new criminal sector. Could you give us the insurance angle? Yeah, so um, there has been an increase in the uptake of uh, cyber, bespoke cyber policies, um, which are, I think, an essential thing for an organisation to have nowadays. They cover both first party and third party losses that can can arise out of a a ransomware attack or other data breach. So on the first party side, they'll cover the organisation for uh, the payment of a ransom and associated costs, uh, business interruption that might flow from that, uh, and uh, reconstitution of software and hardware. Uh, um, On the third party side, um, they will cover uh, regulatory defence costs in relation to regulatory action and uh, civil liability arising out of uh, third party claims. Um, Two particularly topical issues, however, at the moment in relation to cyber insurance are, uh, first, the much discussed issue uh, as to whether uh, paying a ransom and ensuring the payment of a ransom is legal. Um, That's a a difficult and thorny issue. And the short uh, answer is that as long as there's no as a matter of UK law anyway, as a matter of English law, as long as there's no terrorist connection, known terrorist connection uh, with the hacker, then it is legal both to pay and and to ensure the payment of a ransom. But um, that's uh, in itself a very thorny issue. How do you tell uh, whether the hacker is um, has any uh, terrorist associations? And given that the Terrorism Act defines uh, uh, include cyber threats and actions as um, those designed seriously to disrupt an electronic system. But as long as that's got, uh, um, is it, intended to influence government or intimidate the public, if the hacker is thought to be given safe harbour, for example, in Russia or Iran, that may well have terrorist connections. So that's one difficult area. Uh, the other one is that until recently, uh, comprehensive uh, insurance, cyber insurance cover has been available uh, in the market, but recently there's been uh, a serious hardening of the cyber insurance market um, and it's becoming much more difficult to uh, obtain affordable cover. There have been 100% premium uplifts um, with no or very limited ransomware cover and uh, increasingly the insurers are demanding that there be minimum standards to be met by the insured, for example, in relation to multi-factor authentication and backups and so on, as a requirement of the policy yeah. itself. So it's becoming more difficult to get that kind of cover at an affordable rate. Thanks, Felix. I mean, that 
the fact that it's becoming more difficult, more expensive to get the cover rather makes the point, I suppose, that this is a problem that people need to pay attention to if it's harder to ensure it's something we need to look at even more closely. So, I mean, we've covered, albeit at a high level, really quite quickly, some of the highlights of the threat environment, some of the consequences of that. Probably the bit of the picture we're missing is what can happen with litigation. What are the risks of effectively private enforcement from clients or counterparties? following a breach. Rob, could you help us there? Yeah, I mean, I think you don't need to be an expert in either cybersecurity or litigation to see that um, the result of ransomware uh, instant or broader cyber attack will result or could result in significant losses mm -hmm. uh, for a wide range of entities and individuals in this sector. Now, um, and as a result, naturally, claims will follow and the, uh, the the scope for claims is very broad and in fact while Emily has noted the increased uh, enforcement of the information commissioner in fact that enforcement um, in terms of monetary enforcement as opposed to other steps it's been taking uh, suggests that unless you're a very high profile victim of a cyber attack um, your bigger risk could be um, at the hands of uh, claimants in courts. Now, the litigation should be split, I think, broadly into two areas. Now, the first is, is the one that people are maybe, especially at the moment, more particularly aware of, and that is personal data litigation pursuant to the General Data Protection Regulation. Uh, that has been put in the uh, spotlight uh, very firmly um, as a result of the Lloyd and Google litigation, and we very recently had a Supreme Court uh, decision there. Now, that is not a case that um, uh, concerned data loss coming out of a cyber attack, but actually is, is completely analogous in terms of what claimants may be looking to claim back uh, for compromised data. Now, in that, essentially what we saw um, and what the Supreme Court termed it as was opportunistic litigation, where there was a an issue that compromised millions of people's data in broadly similar way. And we saw an attempt by claimants uh, to uh, mount uh, or use the civil litigation model in the UK or in England to, um, in effect, uh, ensure a US-style opt-out class action, mm. um, which raised the spectre of a, a gravy train of, of data claims in much the same way we've we've seen in the past claimant uh, industry from financial mis-selling or personal injury. Now, the, the Supreme Court put an end to that, and uh, that means that maybe that risk has gone away uh, for data controllers. However, um, there are other types of claims, as I've suggested, that come out of ransomware or cyber attack. Now, they may be claims that an individual's personal data has been compromised, but equally, there could be significant financial loss as a result of compromised financial information if um, the victim has lost proprietary data, if it's meant that fraudulent transfers are being made. Um, if they uh, have allowed this cyber attack to happen allegedly through not having the right systems or controls, there's a whole range of possible um, actions to face. So if it's actionable under FISMA, there may be a, a breach of a FCA rule by uh, for a systems and controls breach. Um, it could be uh, ne pure negligence, failing to keep the data secure. Um, there could be um, a claim from a supplier or a third party if uh, for any reason the um, 
victims systems have allowed that malware to go through into anyone in the supply chain um, and, and that may also give rise to breaches of claim of uh, claims of contract where, where parties agree to treat each other's data in a particular way. So um, the scope is, is is very broad. It's a very high risk. Um, and uh, it, I, I think it's it's something that uh, will always or should at least be high on the risk agenda when considering cybersecurity defences and, um, you know, what responses look like. Thanks, Rob. I mean, I, I suppose that all really just reflects the fact that data for everyone in the asset management industry, frankly, for anyone doing business in this country or anywhere else, their data is now one of their key assets and any compromise to that can lead to all the sorts of traditional litigation that we might have seen whenever any other sorts of assets were compromised. Um, we've actually managed to keep rather admirably to time, which is quite nice, but that's the material we wanted to cover today. So. Thank you for tuning in um, and please do look out for our other videos in this series covering various risks in the sector, and how they can be managed and mitigated. Thanks.